Hey guys, and welcome to the show. This is episode 30 of the Talking Llamas podcast. On this week's episode, we have our main topic is Pinocchio. So we will be talking about that film um, and what went into it, what, what it means in the, the greater scheme for Disney and just what we love about it. So um, that's a lot of what we get into. And we, we open the episode with some other things, um, some news in the Disney parks and what we're watching on Disney Plus. But Pinocchio is the main event on this episode. If you want to reach out to the show, you can reach out to us on Facebook. You can go to our page, the Talking Llamas podcast. You can find Thomas and I on Facebook. He's Thomas Nelson, and I am Robert Camozzi. You can find our Instagram page. It is just Talking Llamas podcast. It's at Talking Llamas podcast. And then my Instagram is da Disney Dad. That's D A Disney Dad. On social media earlier this week, those of you who follow us the show in in whatever way may have seen that I did uh, make a call out for questions, you know, or, or comments or anything, you know, that you might want answered on the podcast. We, uh, I mean, we could do an episode about a mailbag episode if we ever accumulated enough questions, or maybe just like, you know, per episode, if we have a question, we can answer it at the top. Haven't really figured out how we would do it, but definitely, um, you know, reach out to us on social media, uh, through Facebook messages, through um, direct messages on Instagram, or you can just email us at TalkingLlamasPod, P-O-D. So that's TalkingLlamasPod at gmail.com. And as always, you can leave us a, a, a review on iTunes. You can, you can rate us. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can follow us on Spotify. And that's really, at this time, the best way to support the show and, and shape the future of it. So go ahead and su- subscribe, follow, rate, review, and uh, and let us know what you think, okay? Okay, guys, without further delay, episode 30 of the Talking Moms podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our little show. Episode 30 is here. I'm Robert Camozzi, and he is Thomas Nelson. I am indeed. How are you doing, Thomas? How's everything going? Everything's going great. Not sick. That's yeah, good. neither of us are sick. This is good news. Well, I thought I might have been a couple of days back, because I'd sneezed a few times throughout the day, and <laughs> okay. I'll just say that was it. I mean, I, I thought, boy, this is not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out to be fine. The next morning I woke up and I was all right, but every day since then has been magical. Did you think you contra- <laughs> contracted whatever uh, extinct virus I had? Oh, I thought you meant coronavirus. No. no. Oh, no, no, no. I actually did think about that because you were sick or something, what, yeah. last week? Yeah, but I didn't really have any... It wasn't a congestion wasn't, thing. It wasn't that bad, yeah. I don't know. Well, it was bad, but it, it was, wasn't it, like a, it was a sneezing separate. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was whatever it was. It was not good. It was like nothing I've ever experienced. Um, well, I'm glad that we're, we're both um, at full health, so we were able to um, see the Spider-Man video that Disneyland posted. <laughs> oh, yeah. great segue. <laughs> so, yeah. No, the real yeah, clean... Okay. I'm a pro now. I mean, this is episode 30, Thomas. I'm really getting... I'm, Big I'm three, getting my, zero? Yeah, so zero. I'm getting into my groove, you know, with the segues and the... Beware the groove. Beware, indeed. What do you think? What did you... It, for those who don't know, the Spider-Man uh, video that we're referencing is Disneyland 
posted a video of a sort of what would you call it like an animatronic i guess so the disney parks blog posted an article upon which a video uh was uh, featured which then circulated through social media including disneyland's official account okay yeah so in disney california adventure there's a new land that most people who are familiar and probably listening to this podcast you know among the many thousands that we have listening (laughs) Uh, Disney California Adventure is making an Avengers campus. So a section of the park where Bugs Land used to be, which is devoted to uh, of different Avengers films. And, and it's going to be really cool. But part of that is this Spider-Man. Uh, what would you call it? It's like an a advanced... flying animatronic? I don't know. I'm, I want to call it a robot. A robot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's that's so more, more much more advanced than the typical animatronic. Right, to be, for it to be flying through the air, and I suppose. I mean, we swinging. should we should mention that this was actually featured in an episode of um, the Imagineering story. Now, at the time, we were unaware that it was. I mean, they didn't give away that it was Spider Man. I'd heard just, some some rumors, and then yeah. when I watched it, I thought, yeah, that that looks like a Spider Man swinging through the air. But it, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically like what would you call it? Like a, a the the skeleton of an animatronic, where it just looks like a bear robot without any flesh or anything yeah it was black or like dark gray yeah for its like parts. a steel gray and then you got the eyes and all that but the the um they're kind of shooting it through the air and you had mentioned and apparently you heard it from somebody else or somewhere else on the internet people speculating that that was a spider-man possibly for the new attraction uh but it turns out apparently this whatever you want to call it animatronic that kind of flies through the air and does these What's stunts, spider-man this spider-man uh, figure who does stunts is going to be going over Avengers Campus, which I can't for the life of me figure out exactly how they're going to manage, but it's uh, very intriguing. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know where they'll do it. Obviously, it'll it'll come out once everything's lined up and ready to open. But I'm just picturing walking through any land over there and, and overhead flies or swings Spider-Man. Cause Spider-Man, I, I, yeah. There must be a way that he swings because he's a swinger. He's not a jumper, right? Yeah, well, the, the yeah, that's interesting because he would the swinging would imply like coming down and then right, going back, right, right, or at least the same level, right? Well, unless you could swing down and gain momentum and go up, but uh, well, there are times where he'll like jump. The point is, if he swung building. down, he'd have to go into the crowd potentially. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems unlikely. Maybe he goes from Guardians Tower over into there. I don't know the proximity, but that could be pretty cool because there's a lot of height there. I'm fascinated by it, and I think it's going to be really interesting. And this is sort of like the next wave of um, things we're seeing in the parks from the Imagineers, like that it goes beyond like the normal stuff that we see. Um, kind of in line with like now they're having R2-D2 go through Galaxy's Edge. I don't know if you saw that. Um, yeah, I saw a little bit about that. I think that's pretty cool. It's interesting. Yeah, there's some guy who has a remote control. and um, Whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so... Well, because well, he, I don't think it's entirely automatic. No, I that know. The, it's cool that it exists. Goes around, yeah. Uh, and so um, I'm interested to see what exactly this, how this takes shape. I mean, the whole we don't know much about the land really, other than some kind of crude concept art. So it'll be interesting to see how this, how this all works. But I mean, um, go to the Disneyland Instagram page if you're interested. Or that apparently I haven't looked at it. The, the Parks blog, Disney Parks blog, also has a whole article on it. Have you looked into? Have you read that at all? I guess I should have looked at it, but. Yeah, there wasn't a lot more information than what appears in the video. So, yeah, the video is, it's a teaser, you know, for what's to come. This is sort of, this is a real downer for people who are um, petitioning for Bugs Land to come back. Yeah. Because this doesn't, I mean, they spent I mean, well, a lot they, of money on this animatronic. The thing is, I don't they, think. 
could have done a grasshopper, you know, hopper. And they chose they could to convert it still. They could. I only say that because there, I really do get petitions for people that well, want me to sign petitions to bring Bugs Lion back. Oh. Where? What? On Facebook? Uh, it's somebody that I either follow or follows me or on Instagram or someone I'm friends with on Facebook. And um, somehow I'm getting <laughs> inundated with these emails and messages at, like imploring me to sign this petition to have Bugs Lion return to the parks, which I just I don't understand. <laughs> Do you think you could have a petition to get rid of another petition? Yeah, maybe that's what we should start. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah, okay. We'll get right to work on that. So if you guys are interested, let us know. And we'll we'll get you the link. Um, on a sort of a more somber note, the, uh, the the news of Kobe Bryant, which I'm sure everyone's heard. We don't need to delve into it too much, but it's uh, it's sort of interesting for for Disney because um, and and you you know a little bit more about this than I, but he did work closely with a director who had a hand in a lot of um, very famous Disney projects. Um, to create a short film that he uh, was later awarded an Oscar for, uh, Kobe Bryant did. Um, Just in case there's anyone out there who really doesn't know who Kobe Bryant is. <laughs> okay. Uh, very famous NBA basketball player. And he, he was 41 and he died in a helicopter crash in, what, Calabasas it was? Yeah, a couple yeah. weekends. So, yeah, very sad story, but he does have a tie to Disney, so I figure we, we mention it. It's not a direct tie, but he did create this uh, this animated short called Dear, Dear Basketball. I don't think I ever had the chance to see it, but I did get a chance to hear about it from the animator and director of the work, at least a little bit. So I can't really speak about it right now. I think it got taken offline for the time being because so many people wanted to see it after he died. But uh, animator Glenn Keane uh, did The Little Mermaid. He, he did Ariel. I believe he did. He might have done Pocahontas as well, but very, very well-known animator within the Disney company. He he directed and animated this short for Kobe Bryant. Uh, and uh, I think that's pretty cool that there's that connection there. It kind of shows you the both the widespread respect of, of Disney animation even today, because it was hand-drawn animation. I think it was made to look like a a sketch, you know, yeah, or like I, a pencil I, drawing sort of thing. I saw a very brief sort of, uh, a, a, almost like a showing of it in sort of a memorial. Mm. And yeah, it's like a sketch. It almost looks like, you know, when you see those early renderings of sketches. Like um, a rough draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. They, they show them. Uh, I've watched a couple of them recently um, for various reasons, but they... Uh, it looked like that, like an early rendering of like a what would eventually become a full uh, feature animation, but it was just that was the final product. Um, so it looked interesting, and but much like you, I ha- I hadn't had the chance to to actually actually see it, but um, but yeah, there is that tie-in, and, and John Williams was involved in some way. Oh yeah, John Williams did the music for it, and he you might know him if from nowhere else for, and this is connected to Disney as well, uh, his Star Wars music. He was the composer for that. Also, yeah. Harry Potter, if you want that. Jurassic Park. I mean, if, I don't know if you have a list out there, but he's a very famous composer. Had his, he has so many iconic soundtracks. Home Alone, those ones. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's, all, it's a pretty cool project, and I, I hope to get to see it in the future. And I'm, I mean, if nothing else, this, uh, his death shows us that we have an opportunity to learn about this very unique award-winning project. Yeah. 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 I, I wish I had seen it before because, like you said, it's... it's uh it's difficult to find now and I'm not sure exactly. Um, maybe it'll show up somewhere some way. Yeah. Um, have you watched anything? This is a, um, this is a total aside. Have you watched anything on Disney plus that's intriguing to you as of late? 
Any new finds? New finds? Yeah. Anything that's um, harder to find? I, no, not this a week. I mean, dive. No, not this week. I feel like you might have. I wanted you to did. bring something yeah. that was kind of interesting. Um, an episode of uh, Disneyland, which for those who don't know, was was sort of a um, a series that they did concurrent with um, the opening of Disneyland uh, to kind of originally at least to fund the building of the park. Uh, and this episode you can find on Disney+. Plus. It's about an hour long, a little shorter, um, probably for commercials and that sort of thing. Um, but the episode is called Plausible Impossible. And if you're at, at all interested in animation and sort of Walt Disney's thinking on animation, this is a, this was a really good find, actually. And uh, the reason for that is they, um, at least how it starts is he's explaining, Walt Disney is explaining sort of how he thinks about um, gags that they do in, in movies and, and shorts. And it's interesting because, you know, gags like where something's sort of implausible, happens or that wouldn't happen so like the example they use is there's a cow and it's got a bell on its neck and someone pulls the tail of the the cow and then that makes the bell ring Mm -hmm. and he said well that's obviously impossible um and we're going to put it in this cartoon but you have to make it look like it could happen in this cartoon and it's interesting because you don't you don't think about how they uh how you just think they did things that were silly and like these gags like yeah these things would never happen and they're not thinking about the the sort of physics of it and all and how to explain it happened you don't really think of it that way but they they did have to think up explanations of how these things could theoretically be possible in this universe that they've created Mm. um and it was actually pretty interesting um so i would recommend anyone who's even like sort of um mildly interested in that check it out there's also a whole scene on like a deleted scene from Snow White that they show that's only sketches. Um, that, it's like a soup that, eating scene. Yeah, that was the cut. one I think maybe Frank, was it Frank Thomas? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Or they, Ollie Johnston, one of those two, I believe. Or or even Ward Kimball. One of those three animated a scene that was cut, and he, I guess the, whoever the it was was very, very proud of it. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, and they show the whole scene. They show the entire, I mean, from what I can tell, they show the entire scene. That's cool. Um, so that was really cool. And uh, and kind of explain like, oh, this is how these things are. It is Ward Kibble, by the way, um, who animated okay. that scene. Um, and so, but the whole, the whole episode is, at least in the beginning especially, explaining how they think about, um, okay, we're going to do something that's obviously ridiculous, but this is how we're going to make it look like it could happen. So it's very, very cool. And... Uh, and I don't know. To me, it was interesting. And I and you know, anytime you can hear Walt Disney talk about something like that, it's is it in color? Yep, it is in color. What so. I find interesting because I looked it up. I heard you watching it, and I I was busy doing other stuff on my computer. But I looked it up real quick to see what was there because you'd said it was a Disneyland show. And when Disney Plus first came out, they didn't really have but but maybe one on there. And so when I looked it up, I found this. But it, it I had I searched Disneyland and I found it, but. The title isn't doesn't say Disneyland TV or anything like that. It's just what is it the name? It's its own thing. Plausible impossible. Plausible impossible. So I wish they had a way that we could find it a little bit more uh, by the program it, that it was a part of versus the, just the title. I think I was searching documentaries or something. I, I could be wrong. I I just stumbled upon it and I put it on my watch list and um, I found it really compelling actually. So. Uh, because again there's a process there that you're not thinking about you're thinking like oh these people just drew this they thought up this gag and then they drew it and they animated it 
but the reality is there's more that goes into it than that apparently um that it's like they have to think of how to make it so you're they have to suspend your disbelief and and he explains well, it, it seems like there's a balance between doing a direct copy of what a, a person might look like animated uh versus the caricature that we often refer to yeah uh in animation and why animation is such a versatile uh, storytelling device or whatever you want medium mm-hmm. and uh it seems like there's a balance because you can make something so caricature that it's ridiculous not, and unbelievable yeah that the story becomes less important and it's I mean, not, not that gags necessarily, because it sounds like you're saying gags being believable, but like a gag isn't a story thing usually. Yeah. Um, anyway, it just seems like there's a balance to be had there where, where you want things to look just real enough that it passes and uh, people can keep going with the story, but enjoy the gag or whatever it is for what it is. Yeah. Yeah, so it was very cool. And again, anytime you can hear Walt Disney explaining his process, I think that that's something that we're lucky to have. And that's something that Disney Plus has given us an opportunity to tap into without um, having to look too hard, you know, having to thumb through YouTube for, you know, when you go through YouTube, some you, it can be hit or miss on what you're finding in terms of quality and actual... Uh, well, visual quality. Visual quality, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But also like um, accuracy and, um, what you know... You well, know, if it's him speaking that's, yeah but that's you don't know thing. how the content's been edited or whatever you know you don't I know suppose. what the people are doing with it yeah you never know it's you have a, a certain guarantee of um overall quality with disney plus so and that's what you're kind of paying for i think because you can find a lot of these things online that we that you watch on there not all of them but a number of them um and they're on disney plus they're all in one place and i found that just by kind of thumbing around and there's a few other things on my watch list that i found that way uh, there's a um Another documentary on a couple of the nine old men, and I can't remember which two it is. Frank and Ollie. That's it. And then there's another one, uh, another Disneyland episode that I'm meaning to watch, but I just haven't had time with the prepping for this episode, actually. I just haven't, I was only able to watch the other, um, but I'm kind of committing to once a week trying to watch something that's not a movie and not a show, um, but something that is like kind of old Disney, either Disneyland or whatever, that's going to teach me something that maybe I didn't know before. So I'll keep you guys posted on that. Um, But on that note, we can start on the episode's main topic, Pinocchio. This movie is the second movie to come out after Snow White. Um, so the second movie... Oh, well, the, the first movie to come out after Snow White. Yeah, the second, yeah, the second movie, movie. Second feature film. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. right. So that's a better way of putting it. But what's interesting, and in, in, uh, in prepping for this episode, we watched, uh, we each watched a, a bonus feature that can be found on the Blu-ray. And I don't think it was on Disney+, Plus, but it can perhaps be found on YouTube. We actually didn't look, but um, it's sort of a making of... Uh, Pinocchio. I think they call it No Strings Attached. Yeah, No Strings Attached, and then it's just, what does it say, the making of, it might be just after that. Yeah, something like that. If you go into, like, if you have the Blu-ray, you go into bonus feature and then uh, classic. Classic bonus. Classic bonuses. You'll Um, find it. I mean, it's in in the special features, so we don't have to harp on that too much, I guess. Yeah, so, um, but we watched that, and it it really... um, it was interesting because they they explained how Snow White kind of allowed them 
in a number of ways to do a lot of things and put everything into Pinocchio. You know, Snow White in many ways is is a great film, um, but they learned so much in doing Snow White and um, and got so much uh, financially out of it that they were able to put a lot more into Pinocchio than they were able to put into Snow White. So in many ways, it they were sort of reaching per, for perfection, Walt Disney specifically was, and um, they achieved pretty close to that in this film, uh, to me. I mean, this movie's uh, very well-rounded to me. I The animation, the music... I don't know what your thoughts are on well, it. What they were saying in the film was about this, about in the documentary about this, this film was that some of the people who they were speaking with, whether they were, you know, animation historians or Disney historians, whatever they were, uh, they were wrestling with deciding whether this was Disney's best film. And I think they meant yeah. throughout all the history, throughout yeah. all the history. And it is a very good film. The story is pretty I mean, it's pretty airtight. There's one that, one part of it that's a little like, okay. I'm wondering if we're thinking about the same part. Well, when Pinocchio learns about Geppetto. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. I wa- rewatching it, I was like, this makes no sense. <laughs> but whatever. Right, so what, 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 let's just cover it while we're on it real quick. Pin- Pinocchio comes back from, is it from Pleasure Island? Yes. Yeah, with, uh, what's his name, Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> yeah. The conscience. And uh, they're, the, they go back to the house where Geppetto's closed the windows and doors, whatever, it's dark. And Pinocchio is lost, doesn't know what's going on. Where's Geppetto or his father? I can't remember if he calls him he father He just calls yet. him father. Yes. He calls and, him father and, from the beginning. And so the is it the blue fairy or just out of the sky? Well, it's a dove. Okay, yeah. And the implication is that it is the blue fairy incarnate. In yeah. The spirit of the blue fairy. Yeah. And so what is it, a gilded note? <laughs> it's, it just tells Pinocchio yeah. what happened. So. Yeah, it's unclear exactly how. I mean... They, there's also no explanation like they and just i'm sure time they don't really show geppetto getting swallowed up by the whale he's just kind of in the whale um spoiler alert uh, geppetto gets eaten or swallowed or whatever monstro well eaten to me implies that he's gone chewed up swallowed gone yeah he just gets kind of he's, he's trapped sort of, inside of a, a huge whale called monstro it's almost like an uh, you know a and b for him he's just in there chilling yeah. out yeah boat and breakfast is he? He's in a boat, right? He's in a boat. Well, or raft. The monstro matter. inspires fear in all of the underwater creatures that all, they encounter. But anyways, the point being is that that's the only part of the film that really is kind of um, fantastical in in the sense that it's unbelievable. Um, and you're kind of like, okay, well, whatever. They just had a hard time figuring out what what to do with that. But I mean, I also think, and something else they brought up in this film is, or in that making of, is the characters in this movie. There's just so many fantastic, like not just like all oh, the characters are all like really solid and serve a purpose. Like there's a lot of characters that are just great. Who's like, your favorite character? I, it's between the Blue Fairy and Stromboli. It's actually between Stromboli and um, and Honest John. To be honest with you, you know you love the villains. So I do. Much. I don't know what's I up can't... with me. <laughs> I've always been that way, and my mother was very concerned early on. So yeah, well, I've, some of us are really concerned now. Yeah, well, I've I've turned out mostly okay. She, my mother is probably still concerned. She just hasn't expressed. She's she's it. given up voicing, you know, that concern. No Gideon, no Cleo, no no Figaro. I didn't say I don't like those. But Gideon's a mute. Yeah, and sometimes so. that's good. Hint. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Well, okay, I, I feel like you would say funny. Stromboli or Jiminy Cricket. Well, Jiminy Cricket, yeah, Jiminy Cricket. That's your number one. Well, 
He's kind of, he's the icon for all of your uh, Disney profiles. So. Yeah, on, on my Disney account and Disney Plus profile. Yeah. Yep. He's the best. Pinocchio's. Yeah. I, I really like Geppetto too as well. I do like Geppetto. We're talking like a, a I do, protagonist. I like Geppetto and, and Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, Geppetto's great. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting because um, another thing they talked about in that making of is the issue of, because the original tale of, of Pinocchio was, you know, Pinocchio was not very likable. And that was a big struggle for them uh, throughout the making of this film, or at least initially, just trying to make uh, Pinocchio more of a sympathetic figure rather than sort of, you know, the mistakes he makes in the film, they try to make them a little bit more something you can follow. And I guess that was initially something they were struggling with on on how much they should stray from the original story uh, to make Pinocchio a more uh, sympathetic figure rather than somebody you just really don't like morally. I didn't have a chance to read the original story. It's a longer one. And well, it's episodic, right? It, it well, comes out. That's how of, it was released. But yeah. you can you can get it all compiled as just Pinocchio now. Yeah. So episodic would mean that it it comes out comes out and I don't know. Let's say seven. I don't know how many it was, but let's say seven different episodes of uh, the the series. Yeah. And so that's what it was. Which well, is actually and it's cool. released as a text and like was it in a newspaper or something? Was it something like that? Maybe yeah. maybe not exactly, but an equivalent. Sorry. Go ahead. I think I was trying to get at the character of Pinocchio, but I don't remember. He was he was not a great character. It yeah. was a darker story. Yeah, even and this and, and this, this is a dark movie for by Disney standards. Um, and it, but it's also not that dark. No, like they, even for kids, it's not that dark. No, 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 no. But but I'm just saying, like it is a it yeah. is on the darker side of films. But I was I was making a comment that I think Eric Goldberg, Disney animator, he made he made a, a mention of in uh, this documentary we're speaking about that they made they sort of re- reflected the episodic nature of the, the the original story in this movie because there's so many different episodes uh, you could say or different it's it's kind places. of broken up yeah so what Geppetto's workshop is one the school journey is one but that's with uh Gideon and Honest John well and it kind of does it does kind of break up cuz there's no like Pinocchio will just be somewhere new and there's not a, a big explanation as to how he got there. He's just kind of like, I mean, it, there's well, an explanation like uh, between the, the transfer between Honest John and uh, Stromboli, for example. There's no like, there's no negotiation. They don't show the negotiation between Stromboli and Honest John. They don't show Pinocchio practicing for the show he's about to undertake or anything like that. They just kind of all of a sudden he's in the show. Um, which I actually don't mind. I, I actually I like find that. It, yeah, I find it interesting. It makes things simpler. We don't have to see. Well, no, so you can fill in the details. You can also fill in the blanks yeah. on your own. You know, in a weird way. Yeah, those aren't the most interesting details usually, anyway. This, in, in sort of reference to the character characters we were talking about earlier, uh, there's a really there's a lot of really good voice actors in this, and by that I mean just like the voices are kind of unique and interesting. Um, who's your favorite of those? Do you think my favorite voice? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's obvious. It's between Geppetto and Stromboli. Yeah, I would agree. Well, the Geppetto thing's interesting because apparently they didn't really have they had were having a hard time animating Geppetto. And this is something else they talk about in the making of until they got the voice actor, and the voice actor looks very much like Geppetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool because they showed a little picture of him. I don't know. Maybe he actually was acting out in front of a camera for the animators. Well, one of the but, one of the uh, people that talked in the documentary said he was actually the model for it when they they i i think he might have actually sat 
at least once and they drew him specifically that was the implication i thought but something like that oh he sure. was the inspiration for the visual character we yeah, see 100 percent. stromboli's great though and the uh the voice actor who does him also does the the uh englishman who later takes all the children to pleasure island which is interesting yeah because <laughs> they they're both kind of you know they're very those are very like um notable voices but also very different um and the the voice actor apparently had like a, a kind of a signature whinny he would do like if you can imagine like a horse sound and they play that in the making of and it's not something i really noticed before but it is <laughs> very like i don't know stromboli is a larger than life character and uh, i think they did a really good job of animating him as well there's a point where like he jumps into the uh, his carriage where Pinocchio's at or whatever and tells him to be quiet or something and everything comes off the ground. He he jumps, hits the ground, everything comes up like, you know, six inches off the ground and lands back yeah. down. That's fantastic. And then you have the actor who um, who uh, voiced... Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket. Uh, sorry, yeah, Cliff Edwards, who at the time was a pretty famous uh, actor and... and uh, uh, musical artist and and all he did all sorts of things um ukulele ike was his nickname and uh he was involved I, I i don't exactly know how he got the name i think he played the ukulele in a movie it may have been the movie that featured um dancing in the rain which is of course a very famous song um but he uh at the time was a pretty famous uh you know actor voice actor and and uh, recording artist um, and he has kind of a sad story in that he worked for the, and I, and I, I'm kind of fuzzy on the particulars of this, but he basically worked for the Disney company and just, he would make a lot of money doing voice acting and he actually worked as Jimmy Cricket, like on voices because Jimmy Cricket was sort of the unofficial narrator of, of the Disneyland show for a time. And so he was continuing to do work as Jimmy Cricket in, into the later years of his life, um, but struggled with addiction, had a lot of problems um, with that, and was never able to save much money up because of it. And, uh, you know, sort of, he, he, he lived a pretty long life, but just never really got things together. So, um, you know, I don't know specifics on it, really, to be honest with you at this point. It, it, there's a Vault uh, vault of Walt uh, book that, you know, has several editions. Do you know which edition it was? No, I can't remember. Which, it's the red one, but well, I can't remember. Oh, that's number one. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Very first one. Yeah, so if you're interested, it's in that book, and it's it's a sad, it's a 10-page story on sort of his, his fall from grace and that he was working till the very end, but just could never get things together. Um, and, you know, voiced one of the most famous characters in Disney history. Well, certainly. I yeah. mean, uh, Jiminy Cricket, that, that was sort of like a, what would you call it? Not a, it's like a saying. Well, it's but... something you say when you don't want to say, uh, like, you know, Jesus Christ, basically, as a, as a... Um, Jiminy you, Cricket. My, my, yeah, my grandfather used to say it all the time it's like the way of well yeah but this was 1940 i don't know what it was like before then no so and i actually read about this in um it might have been in the vault of wall actually where um you know instead of saying a certain word people will say frickin yeah it's like saying jiminy christmas instead of saying jiminy christmas uh, i don't think so what wait i think jiminy cricket 
Maybe it's Jiminy Christmas. Well, I think Jiminy Christmas sounds right. Like it, like that's what the culture yeah. was using before. Well, you understand though that it, it was it was in play. The name Jiminy uh, Chris, Christmas, Jimmy Cricket, that that sort of whatever yeah, yeah. adjacent name was used as a um, a stand-in for something that was you know considered a curse word or whatever, basically. Which is interesting, considering he's the conscience and <laughs> Jesus Christ is sort of like a what like a noble Messiah figure. Yeah, very noble and wise and all that sort of stuff. So it's interesting that yeah, it is interesting some choice. parallels exist there. Uh, yeah, but the cricket in general as the a choice for. A character was, I don't know if you'd call it a bold move, but in the original story, the cricket was mentioned in one paragraph. And, and killed, killed by Pinocchio with very a, early with a mallet. on. He does show up as a uh, as a ghost later, which is also very interesting. And that's a, that's a story I want to see. Yeah. Not read, but see. And uh, yeah, so the, the cricket was the, I mean, he's one of my favorite characters. Jiminy? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's good. Well, and he's kind of, he's not... Um, what would you say? He he's not. Um, he's figuring out as he goes, basically. Like he he's kind of as not lost, but just you know, he's he's figuring out things as he goes in the way that Pinocchio is. I mean, he has maybe a better idea of how things should go than Pinocchio does, but he also, you know, he when Pinocchio goes off to school, he is still sleeping apparently, and when he gets snatched up by Honest John, um. You know, Jiminy's not there to help him, and he does eventually catch up to him and help him. And at, but at that point, Pinocchio's completely made up his mind. He's not going to school. He's going to go be an actor and work in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Walt apparently wanted to go for a quaint atmosphere with this. Yeah. This movie, I and mean, you get a lot of that with the uh, the village that they're in, the aesthetic that you have there. But I, I wonder if telling the story from the point of view of Jiminy Cricket, at least in the beginning. I think, and, it, I think that goes through the movie, yeah, really. Yeah, I wonder if that helps to keep it a quaint thing. Do you know if when we have the... There is a scene where we have Jiminy Cricket's perspective, and he, and so Pinocchio is with Honest John and Gideon, and it might be towards the end of their interaction on the way to school where he is, what, overtaken by those two? Yeah. I guess just persuaded to go a different direction with his life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I wonder if the camera is below the the like the eye level of the the main character. Yeah, they no, see. it is. Well, it's when he's walking away. So, uh, well, yeah, then. But I wonder if about before. I'm trying to remember. I can't recall. I guess it wouldn't make much sense to have like when they're coming towards you or a different direction. And Jiminy Cricket's not, not there yet. Yeah, wouldn't make sense to have his point of view. Well, he, you do have his point of view at the very beginning when he's going towards the house, and he's actually the camera is hopping. You know, like he would be. Yeah, well, towards, what's interesting towards is what the house. precedes that is, well, what do they have? They open with the the moon in the sky, mm-hmm. and then they do what, they, you might have read it in the same book we, we used, uh, what is now often used and called a virtual tracking shot. Okay. So it's like panning over the, the comes down and pans over the village at night, moonlight over the, the village. And then we get down to the street level where Jiminy Cricket is. And then, yeah, we see him. The camera just is like a hopping motion, like you just said. But yeah, actually, but I really just, like that scene because what what's cool is as he gets closer to the house, the inside is lit, but it becomes in focus. And to me, the art in this mu- in this movie is tremendous. It's very beautiful, and uh, I love it. It's my favorite looking film that they ever made. Uh, but then that scene really, I probably captures my interest in the in the visual 
well, the in, art of the film. In reference to that, we're doing this episode because this month this movie turns 80 years old. And that, when I really think about that, is truly shocking. Having watched it, the animation is beautiful. This is this is one of the most beautifully animated movies of all time. I, I really don't know if there's a movie, even in Disney history, that quite stacks up to it um, in, in terms of just the the quality of the animation. I, I can't think of one that really does. And I'm not I'm not even saying for the time. I'm saying period. Just in a well. Yeah, mostly I agree. There are some scenes in which characters we don't ever get introduced to, but say school ch- children are running through the village. Yeah, and the animation on that is... The faces are just, they're like, they might have eyes. Yeah. So it's bizarre. And same with when they're on the the, the, the stagecoach to Pleasure Island, um, which, by the way, is being pulled by a bunch of donkeys, um, not horses. Uh, the, the faces, even on the, the guy, the Englishman, what's his name? Don't really know. It doesn't matter. But the, the, big, the guy, big guy in the red coat... You can't hardly see any features on their faces, yeah. but yet they're they're in a close enough range that you could do it. Yeah. So parts like that stand out. But what I did notice in terms of just good animation, not necessarily visual, just good animation, was in the scene where they start above like the bell tower, you know, and then they zoom in the birds. Yeah, and they zoom in to the. This is on the morning that Pinocchio is going to go to school. I think that's the most beautiful shot of the film. It's pretty good. I can tell where they're doing the multiplane camera. So it's a little bit clunky there, but they were sort of in their earliest of years doing that. Well, not necessarily so, but early enough on. For feature films, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so, but when they get closer into the the village and they have sort of an overhead shot, I noticed that there's kids running around and that's all good, but there's an old man who's walking and he's going slow. Like, they're not all the same speed moving, you know what I mean? They took the care to make each individual character yeah. be that own character as they're animating it. Yep. I really like that kind of thing. I Yeah, I mean, it was a great, it's really a great work of art in that they just, they. I think that they really, you know, like you said, there's things here and there, but I think they really sh- strived to make this movie beautiful and really as close to perfect as they could make it. Uh What's your favorite scene just sort of in terms of what, what if we did break this down to episodes? Oh, opening sequence and then until Pinocchio goes off to school. I love the uh, the clock shop, all all the stuff that happens there, the music. The clocks um, are great, aren't they? And they, they apparently Cricket. had like uh, actual props of those. Yeah, but did they do that after the, the movie? No, I don't think so. During... I think they did them so they could use, the animators yeah. could use them. I just, I loved it. And as a kid, I really remember uh, loving the, the clocks. When Geppetto dances clocks. with... I like when Geppetto's moving um, moving Pinocchio as a marionette. Like when he's still... That's gets, where there's really good animation. No, that's He's good. like got him on the floor. It's and incredible. Him, the way it moves is so perfect. So smooth. There's no, there's no, like sometimes you'll see an animation where even if someone's just walking or running, there's a little bit of a sliding effect where you can tell they're just moving it through space and it doesn't look like there's a uh, person actually yeah, like hitting no their friction. foot. It's like sliding. Yeah, but they do, they do a great job in the beginning of this. There are a couple moments with, with what I just said in this film, but mostly it's it's superb animation and this is an example. Yeah, when he, so when he's on the strings, it's I just I think that great. might be the best example if you want to point to something, that's it. And yeah. it's just, they apparently well, had an expert in on that. Who, well, and I think Eric Goldberg, again, he said that maybe it was someone else, but it doesn't matter. The point is that you could feel that there's weight to Pinocchio on the ground being manipulated by as a puppet by Geppetto. And in different ways, you can feel that there's weight into these characters, if that makes sense. 
Oh yeah, no, totally. I, I think, um, I think that that's a good example, and and the way the the clocks work, uh, and and the way that the the clocks work to make there's sort of a cacophony, like a bunch of different clocks are going off all at the same time, but they they come together to make almost like a little song. Um, it's chaotic, but it it comes together. It doesn't just sound like noise. Yeah, you know, you've got like twenty three clocks going off, but they all combine to make this like really good music to like it, i don't know how to even explain it but it's it's a it's a really good sound it sounds good it sounds yeah. nice well obviously that was intentional yeah of course but they no, did a great, great job as long as you're speaking about music they did a great job with the sounds and music in this film i i that, and that's where this early the opening sequence we get in the credits we get when you wish upon a star and it leads into what the, the opening shot we talked about with the moon and the star in the sky and all that and then we get this other song called little wooden head which i referenced i think in our soundtrack draft because okay. i really love this one i actually listened to it with my parents just we were playing poker on the table and i just turned it on because I, I was talking about it and they loved it because it's just a good song you can tell that there are parts where scenes would be happening but yeah for the most part it's really really good music and they say that in the in the documentary that one of the one of the people says that you know i could just listen to this soundtrack or just listen to the movie all the way through without, without the any visuals and it would be a great experience for him yeah i yeah, think I, th- I agree i think it's musically it's a great a great movie i think it's underrated for that actually if, if i had to say and that's why i picked it in the draft yeah it is underrated it's quite good i uh for me i really like the whole initial honest john sequence for me just because it's so funny and so silly and uh like when <laughs> They, you know, they notice the Stromboli, the marionette guys in there, and they know he's in town. And then they see, um, they see Pinocchio go by, and then Honest John says to Gideon, he says, "Oh look, Gideon, a little wooden boy." <laughs> just as he walks by, and then like kind of goes about his business before he realizes what just walked by him. And then when he realizes, yeah. he goes back, and yeah, he, he eats he eats uh, Pinocchio's entire apple. <laughs> so, so you're saying that he just he sees the little boy but doesn't register that that's happening it doesn't register immediately that's funny because P- uh, geppetto does the same thing right after pinocchio becomes a boy he yeah. says he says something to him like go to bed pinocchio yeah, or something exactly. like that yeah and then he realizes that he's what the puppet's alive yeah and his dreams came true anyways go on no but i mean i just love that sequence where you're kind of being introduced to uh the 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 antagonist of the film and and sort of where uh you know Pinocchio's naivete comes into comes into play here, and you and that's how they made him a sympathetic figure, and that he has literally zero life experience, not even as much life experience as like a you know someone of his quote unquote age, you know yeah. he starts out as should have, and uh, that's how they make him a sympathetic figure. He's kind of preyed upon by this uh, this honest John character, who in the grand scheme is actually just I mean as far as villains go in this film, he's like third in terms of actual evil deeds he's just kind of trying to get ahead and in any way he can and, and make a buck he's uh he's like a i don't know like a, a soldier in the mafia or something he's not the the godfather or anything well no and he's like he's like terrified by the guy he ends up selling pinocchio to later that goes to pleasure island like when he when that guy tells him yeah. the plan he they're like sh- that's too shaking much. yeah, yeah they can't just, even believe yeah. it yeah even for him it's too much that's an interesting sequence they brought up in the making of, of uh, the whole Pleasure Island sequence and how it how it's 
a little bit terrifying might be a little extreme, but it's kind of a very like uh, the sequence is just done very well where, uh, you know, they're they're all the kids are going crazy. And then uh, Pinocchio is playing pool with his friend. And then when his friend makes that transformation into a into a donkey, um, the way that sequence plays out is like perfect. They, you know, well, I think in part they were they were admiring that the animators they didn't they didn't need dialogue from Pinocchio to convey the reaction to the uh, to the audience. Well, they was, let the audience well, they well, let they the had, audience figure it out on their own and, and well, kind they of had Pinocchio react, and then yeah, the audience could do with that. I mean, it was pretty clear from his reaction what you were going to think was happening, and you knew what was happening because you saw you saw Lampwick become this this donkey. So that's well. I then mean, they don't. They just they don't just show him turning into a donkey. They show him kind of turning into a donkey, and then they show his hands and they show the silhouette, which is really great. A really yeah. great part, the silhouette. You know, they don't. They they have these little tricks of how they're showing it to you. They're not just showing him transform and like being like, here it is. They're they're making you sort of digest it in a different way, which is really interesting. And it's an and uh, what's it in. Uh, it's evidence. It's uh, an example of the fact that this film, before it too, but they're really trying to convey a personality with the character just by the animation. Yeah. So facial expressions, mannerisms, and the movements. When the guy, when the 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 big Englishman guy or whatever. Yeah. When he's saying his plan, doesn't his face turn red at one point? Yeah, I believe so. Right. So stuff like that. Stromboli's a really loud guy, so that's an that's an. Uh, a, what oral a u r a l that's a way you can hear that things are happening uh an extreme level and then you see pinocchio's fear it's just they do a great job with conveying emotion through the not dialogue but the animation the subtle or more subtle aspects here's a question does the is the kids turning into jackasses is that too much on is that too on the nose like is that too (laughs) like well no i don't think it is it's interesting though like what I mean, it's very clear what they're trying well, to say. Yes, I mean, okay, so let's keep that in mind. But we can probably connect it to the, the the one of the more famous things when you talk about Pinocchio is the nose that grows when you lie. We haven't even mentioned that. Yeah, that's interesting because it's not that big of a part of this film. No, it's not. However, it is relevant because at the beginning, when the blue fairy's like making this deal with Pinocchio, but she gives him three three virtues to live by. What is what is it? Truth. I don't know them all. Well, um, the only thing that I be remember brave, is brave, I believe, honest, and then there's something else. Well, but just it's virtuous. A boy who won't be good might as well be made of wood, Thomas. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's all that I can remember from yeah. what she gave him in terms of advice. The uh, point is, there's it, those virtues, which I believe are truth, honesty, and bravery. Maybe honesty and bravery feel like they're right. Uh, especially given the nose thing. Um, and bravery is one of them. And it comes up later in the episode, or rather than in the, in the, I guess in the whale episode of this movie, because Geppetto is, he needs saving and it requires bravery to literally make the plunge into Monster of the, into the ocean and then find Monster of the, the whale. And Jiminy Cricket comes along too. He's saying, I might be live bait down there, but I'm with you all the way or whatever he says. And so, yeah, they both go down there with bravery and I just have something found. I was trying to figure out what the virtues were and I'm not going to find them. But one of the oh. things that came up was a, a, an article headline that says the original blue fairy is a cruel monster, <laughs> which I'm assuming is from the original like yeah, fairy probably. tale. But anyways, that was quite funny. Uh, well, the, the nose growing thing is it, it 
when I first watched this movie after not having watched it in a very long time, I was struck by the fact that the nose thing being attributed to the lying is about 12 seconds of one scene. And that's it. Never happens again. Yeah. Yep. It's when he's, you know, he's, it's, this is actually easily uh, Pinocchio's worst moment. <laughs> it's like watching it. It's so bad. He's like lying about all this stuff. And it's clear that he's lying and his nose is growing. And the last lie he makes is he says that she asks how he escapes or something how he escaped and he says i didn't they shot me into firewood and it's like okay well dude you're right here i mean what do you who do you think you're do you think the blue fairy's an idiot the fact that she still helps him after that i mean i can't even hardly believe it i mean after he well he doesn't have experience and certainly not wisdom and he's not even a person he's on his way though yeah, yeah you have well, to make some mistakes before you can get to where you want that's to be. a big one i mean he oh, just, yeah that's he said he got chopped into firewood when he's he's plainly uh, just sitting there as li- as alive as can be. So, but the, the the nose growing thing, which is basically the most, when you ask somebody about Pinocchio, uh, maybe the common folk or, you know, somebody who's just kind of familiar with the story, that's probably the most, what would you say, the most like famous aspect or the well-known aspect of the film. Do you think there's a connection to the original story? There must be. There, yeah, right? there must be, yeah. Because I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know anything about it, but... I I know that that's what people think of when they think of Pinocchio is I mean it's there's a whole like commercial campaign around it for one of those insurance company um which to me signifies that it probably transcends just the movie. Yeah, well what they say here she says a lie keeps growing and growing until it's as plain as the nose on your face. So I guess that's the explanation for the for the nose growing there how she how she sort of how she sort of grapples with it and tells him why it's happening. What are you looking for, Thomas? Thomas oh. is searching live on air for something. Oh, I've got the, the video on my phone, the movie rather. And so I'm, I'm trying to find those virtues because I think it's important because they're, they're stated twice in the film, I believe. And uh, yeah, so we need to know what they are. Keep talking, buddy. Well, uh, <laughs> be a good boy and always let your conscience be your guide. The, that's how the blue fairy then leaves right? when she, she reminds Pinocchio of that. Thomas is listening live on air, so. What'd you say? Well, I found it. What is it? Three virtues. So brave, truthful, and unselfish. Okay. So, yeah, that's even better than truthful and honest, which are the same pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, that's good. I well, mean, I mean, it's a way that we can know what we're looking for in the in the movie without having to keep reiterating it. So it's mentioned early, right up front, about... 10, 12 minutes in, and then from there we get to watch the story unfold where these virtues are explored and mistakes are made, conscience needs to be called upon. Well, she does leave uh, reminding, always let your conscience be your guide, which is a song in this movie that actually precedes her showing up, I believe. Is it a song or is it a lyric in one of the songs? Yeah, well, it's not the name of the song, I guess, but it is a big part of one of the I think it's in Give a Little Whistle. Give a Little Whistle, that is right, yeah. What is your favorite song in this film, Thomas, of of the the songs that have lyrics? Oh, well, uh, it's probably When You Wish Upon a Star. Uh, If we take that one out of it, there's only a couple left. (laughs) But mm, it would have in the past been uh, No Strings on Me. I like that one because it goes through different, like, uh, what would you say, like countries and cultures 
different styles. Of That's the, why you of like it. I like how it's very it, like it goes through. They really worked hard on it. I think. Okay. They showed their work, and I I like it. I, I we talked about this before the podcast, but my real favorite song that I get the most enjoyment of when I'm watching the film is Honest John's "Hi Diddly Day." I love that. See now. You're wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm uh, wrong if that's my favorite. Yeah, that's the incorrect opinion. Now, what I I'm joking, but what I'm I was gonna say is listening to the 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 song without so the melody, not the lyric. I really enjoy the one you just mentioned a lot. Yeah, and I think we hear it in the parks a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if uh, and uh, so, I think that's the, that's what opens the ride, if I'm not mistaken. That's, oh, I can't remember that. Well, when we when you come through and Pinocchio's daring journey is that what it is um yeah in the dark ride in disneyland that's i believe that's the song that opens the the attraction but i could be incorrect but that the point is is that we do see it and you hear that melody all over the place i think it's very familiar but the lyrics of it i was watching i told you with the closed captioning on and it's just it's very silly he's saying he's just so ridiculous i mean he's obviously portraying this you know trying to convince uh, Pinocchio, that this is the way to go. And it's just, the things he's here, is saying is just so silly and funny to me. I still think that only parts of it is silly. Other parts of it are just describing celebrity at the time. Well, but and it's... it's it, But the, it gets to a point where a couple of the adjectives that are used, or the things that are described... They're are, of the time. They're, they're of the time, but they're the time. also like... They're... They're, they might be like accentuated aspects of celebrity. But you also don't, might be. you don't know exactly what they are, but you know they're really old. <laughs> and it's just like, I, I just love it. To I, be fair, we don't know what they are. I mean, you didn't know what a pompadour was, but I did. Well, I also know what a wax mustache is as well. But Yeah, it's just putting wax in your mustache. And a, a golden chain and a diamond cane. I know all that stuff, but... Diamond um, cane sounds at, nice. At one point he switches it and says a golden cane and a diamond chain, and I think it's a mistake. Oh, they, he does? Yeah, I think yeah. he makes a mistake on purpose. I think they do that on purpose. Is that purpose. something you read on the, the, the closed yes. caption? Yes. Are I you mean, sure I, the closed captions were right? I mean, sometimes, it was on Disney Plus, I would imagine. Sometimes those things get jumbled up. But I also, but you know when you read something, you know when you listen to a song and you can't understand it, exactly what the sing, the singer is saying, but then when you read it as they're singing it, it becomes obvious? Have you ever experienced that? We oh, experienced yeah, that before yeah. with different things, actually, um, with a different Disney song. Um and that's and I'm pretty sure that's what he said. So he switches the two by accident, I think, because it doesn't make sense. A, gold, a diamond chain and a, a golden cane is makes makes much less sense than the reverse. Um, anyway, so that was funny, and that's that's why I love that song because it's very silly. And um, all of the, uh, a lot of the songs in this movie have their own silliness and playfulness, other than when you wish upon a star, and that's what I appreciate about them most. It's it's uh, there's a very playful aspect to these songs, even when they're having to do with the villains and that sort of thing, which is something you didn't see. It's a big shift from the villain in uh, Snow White, where there's no, I mean, there's no joking around there at all. There's really no silliness whatsoever. Um, um, in Snow White? In the villain. Oh. The villain is a very serious character. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how what that movie would be like if the witch was a silly character in any way. Yeah, so that's what's interesting about this is they they take the characters and they make them a little bit more. Um, they're big characters and and they have big personalities, but they're also oh. a, a little silly. Not the not the big guy, not the Godfather. The no, 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 but the other two driver or the other three, if you count Gideon. Which well, I guess that makes you would. I mean because a witch. Let's see, the the queen turns herself into a witch. I mean, a queen is. A, about the highest position position you could possibly be, especially as a woman in a kingdom. It is the highest position. 
if you're Stromboli, you're just a marionette guy who's kind of a crook. So to me, there's there's some flexibility there with you don't have to maintain a certain level of, I don't know, competence or any kind of demeanor to match the position that the, he's in because he's being a crook, he's going to put on a different faces. And he does that with Pinocchio. Well, the audience in his shows and then Pinocchio, I mean, different ways. Well, I, I think... I think it's interesting. It's obviously a much older film, but you see it with like uh, Hades and you see it with Scar where their henchmen are sort of much less competent than they are. And much you mentioned silly. Hades and I almost forgot who that was. <laughs> <laughs> but I you swear. See, but you see what I'm saying? We're like pain and panic are very like incompetent and silly. And I guess that's how you could describe Honest John is he's not strictly incompetent, but he's definitely just not on the level of, you know, the the British guy in the red suit. He's the um, young kid who's being sort of, he's helping out the mob. I'm going back to the mob because there's levels to the organization. He's like the card dealer. Yeah, okay. Whatever. You get the point. <laughs> Anyways, it's quite good. Um, that song is kind of doubling back on that. Um, I I think that that's... Uh, well, I think a couple of the songs, certainly When You Wish Upon a Star is kind of... And, and then, it's become the Disney theme song. We've talked about this before, but that's basically when you... Anthem, yeah. Well, I was going to say that it's sort of like a lullaby. That yeah. one, and then there's one, I think, with the when they're about to going to sleep. That might be the Little Wooden Head song that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be another one in there, too. might be the Blue Fairy song. But the point is, some of these songs are really jolly and bouncy, and you could dance to them like high diddly dee. They're walking in, in step with the song. Uh, down the street and it's a you know a quick pace so like the point is these songs match the scenes that they're in but in general i think their children would react well to them something we talked about with silly symphonies is drawing upon the deeper whether they're fears or joys whatever uh that we have as children and things that we react to then are deeper down and i think the music kind of reflects that too I think what's interesting about this is, and they brought this up in the making of, is this is sort of the first time they use music to move along a story in, in the way that they do in Disney movies all, all the time now. Um, it wasn't as much in Snow White, I don't think. Um, this one to me really is, you know, you're taking a song and you're using it to, instead of dialogue, you're using it to move a story along, if that makes sense. Well, I'm trying to think of how it's not that way in Snow White, because I feel like we talked about that as being true in Snow White. I feel like it's far more apparent in this movie, though. And maybe so, because with a song like High Diddly D, it, it's sort of just, they're they're doing it. Well, he's, ex- he's explaining to Pinocchio why being an actor is awesome. Yes. But it, it was smooth in the moment. It's, he's not sitting him down saying, hey, well, you know, if you're an actor, you can have a... You can have a, a and diamond then the music, chain. And then and the music a, starts yeah. and then yeah, he's, jump into song. But you see what I'm saying? He's not just sitting him down and explaining that to him. He's singing it. Yeah. And that's all they need. And that's all anyone needs. And we all get it. So that's an interesting device that they use in this film more than they do in Snow White, I would say. It's they, they honed the craft and they they perfect it in this film. So where I, th- this film, to me, um, you know, Snow White's the original and all that. And it's very important. Um, but it, I think out of the two real classics, I think this is this is my favorite classic disney film if we're talking like everything up until jungle book this one you think it's number one for you of classics it is for me everything from the snow white to jungle book i understand that 
when I watch Snow White, I think that one is more appealing to me. This one I appreciate is a, a work of art more. Yeah. And so I, anytime I'm going to watch Pinocchio, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, there's always something more to appreciate or the same thing, which could just be the art. And I like the colors a lot too, actually. Yeah, the color. The I don't know how to describe them, but mm. maybe like there's, a, I don't know, a depth or a richness. Not a richness, but anyway. I, I like Snow White more for the characters. I think the dwarves are some, some I just like them more. The, the stories may be a little bit more simple. Not that that is something that I require. But towards the end of this this movie, things just get, though they're great with animation, I'm less interested in the monstro part for some reason. I, I agree with that, actually. I do love when Geppetto's, they're, they're above water, they're out of monstro, and, and Geppetto's just yelling at yeah. instructions at, at, uh, and at uh, Pinocchio. Yeah. I, I can't do the impression, but it's, I just love old men laughing or screaming for some reason. Pinocchio! I, I think that's Merlin, all, is too. That, is that only in the attraction? Um, Pinocchio screen. No, I don't think it. I don't think it is. Mm. Only, so it's in the movie as well. I don't remember it. What do you think about park representation of this movie? I don't think there's enough of it actually. When you think about it, what would you ra- what would you have included in the park? Well, they got rid of the restaurant, which never really fit anyway. This is Dis- guess, Disneyland Park. We're talking. I, about. Yeah, I guess there's a fair amount. And they have Monstro, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just want Pinocchio and Geppetto running around more. Maybe that's what I want. That's the benefit that we have of going during Halloween. I think sometimes, maybe it's not a Halloween thing, but every now and then those characters come out. I can't I can't actually picture when they're out because Halloween doesn't seem right. And yet it Well, does. we go during Halloween a lot, so it's hard to say. Something I wanted to not forget to circle back on. Uh, in this making of, they described how... Um, they created a lot of the the sounds that are in this film. And one thing about movies today is the, I'm sure there are sounds that are original to movies and stuff. Like they're made specifically for that moment in that film. But something you'll hear a lot is like when a baby's crying in the other room, it's like very much the same sound you've heard a baby make before, you know, in other films or like there's that sound a baby makes when it's being like, when it's cooing um, or uh, the sound seagulls make on a beach and you've heard it in like four other movies before and it's very familiar and it kind of takes you out of the movie for like a split second. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's one that I'm going to insert it here after I say the name so that we know what it is. Uh, I've first heard it in Star Wars. I don't know if it originated there, but there's a scream called the Wilhelm scream. And hopefully you just heard it, but uh, I hear it every now and then in different animated um, different animated shows and whatnot. So I, I know what you're talking about. And it made me sort of, I don't know if nostalgic is the right word, but I really appreciate how all the sounds in here, I mean, they talked about how they've created certain sounds. And actually in that implausible, that plausible impossible uh, show I, I referenced earlier in the episode, they talk about how one of the sounds they used was created by a tank. I don't know what tank they're talking about. He just said a tank being dropped into an empty pool like that's how they created the sound they created the sound for a, a a safe falling on somebody by dropping a tank into an empty pool Jeez. so i, I don't mean, know what jiminy it, crickets yeah jimmy cricket <laughs> anyway. it's definitely jiminy christmas yeah because gotta yeah. be 
Well, anyways, you get the point. So that's like, amazing. I just think that that's really interesting that, you know, and I appreciate, and they, in the making of, they show them like kind of creating sounds and going through. Well, that's how they had to do it. And, and earlier, maybe they did it with this film too, but with, with, uh, even with back with Mickey, they had to do things live at, in time with what was happening on screen. Like they had it all planned out where things were going to be done, but they had to do it live and perfectly in, in sync with what was happening. It's pretty interesting that these sort of rudimentary, at least what we see as rudimentary ways of doing things now, because we're so advanced technologically that they had to do these things. And I wonder if they learned more because of it or, or the innovations that came from it are, I don't know, maybe more important. Obviously the issue is it takes time away from thing, other things that can be done, but I do have a real appreciation for that the making of the the noises organically in a way i just i don't know and making them unique i guess there's just an overall catalog now of sounds that are used yeah it's too why wouldn't you build that catalog it makes perfect sense save some time and effort and money yeah i'm just sick of hearing that baby sound is what i'm saying because it really does it happened in um the mandalorian they did it for baby yoda and i was like oh my gosh i've heard that sound so many it took me out of it immediately and it made me actually angry like (laughs) which it shouldn't have um but it made me, I was irritated by it. Because mm-hmm. I was like, really? I mean, come on. You're better than that. You can't find a baby or have someone make a baby sound or just not make the sound at all. Like, it's fine. If you get that baby, you're going to have to pay that baby. <laughs> we don't, we're not going to pay that baby, baby. Damn it. That's, yeah. Anyway, what about Disney World? Oh, there's, not, there's, there's not nearly There's enough. the Village House. We have that. <sighs> Do we even go in there? No, but we could. I, mean, I, I will say the sort of style, at least in Disney land of of um oh yeah of fantasy, fantasy land. land is sort of inspired by this film so that's helpful yeah actually that yeah you're right that helps a lot and it, well they they do that with the facade of the village house in, in magic kingdom yeah but, but it's uh, more i feel like their fantasy land is like a mix of things like it kind of comes in and out of other it doesn't have its own of, feel yeah that, that's actually something against it which we could talk about later on another episode because that's interesting well i don't know about other parks beyond that I just think that... Uh, is it in World of Color? Pinocchio? Oh, man. Uh, maybe like a quick like showing of something, like a small scene. A very If you haven't seen World of Color, though, they, there's like parts where they show scenes, and then there's parts where they so, show montages from different Disney films. They and do. I would imagine there's probably a small clip. With the water? Maybe. But I think that there's a part with Pinocchio either dancing with Geppetto or being that's, turned into a real boy. That seems right. I can't well, remember exactly what, but, well, I'll report back. No no, uh, no other shows maybe he's in? We certainly get When You Wish Upon a Star all over. I actually can't pinpoint when it happens in the park. Because it happens so often. It's, I mean, it's on commercials. It's in, it's in hotels. It's in the parks. Is, it's everywhere. Is High Diddly D on the like Esplanade soundtrack or Downtown Disney soundtrack that we hear as we're walking through, can you think of, of whether that's true? I can imagine it, but it's not played enough. Well, see, I can imagine it, but I have an active imagination. Like I could make myself believe that it's real. Well, like I know the newer ones are in there. Like I, I vividly remember Zero to Hero playing all the time in mm-hmm. Downtown Disney. I don't, I can't pull to mind High Diddly D playing there. But I think it does. The The thing about that is it has a very bouncy feel to it in the way that sort of um, that up song does where it feels very Disneyland. That song yeah. feels like it would fit into Disneyland well. And I don't think it plays, if it does play, it does not play often enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I, I think I agree. I want more Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, I think that it, I, 
at the very least that attraction can never go which okay here's a question that maybe we should say for a different episode but i won't uh if you had to take away either snow white scary adventure or um the, the pinocchio attraction which one would you get rid of uh snow white now or i mean pre what it is right now yeah well because it's not really a fair fight i don't think i would i probably keep the snow white for the queen overhead because she peers out from the, the glass and that's kind of cool um pinocchio i love though for the aesthetic i think that uh it's that classic dark ride i mean yeah it's right i mean the middle part of the ride is i mean it's not like a great story or anything but the middle parts there a lot of pleasure island stuff right and yep that's my least favorite part of the movie at uh, the end is my favorite part of the, the ride because it's back to the clock shop. Sounds you know? bad. <laughs> no, but the blue well, fairy, right, there's yeah, a blue fairy effect in there, which is pretty great. Which, by the way, the sound they use for that apparently is something that was used thereafter too. Not the exact sound, I think, but the instrument maybe they, they used to yeah, create yeah, the sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah to, which I can like, call to mind but could never mimic. Like, right. Oh, no way. Uh, but it, that was like a magical sound that was used later on. I would say... Um, I, I guess you're right, uh, but I mean, I do, I do very much like this attraction. Uh, so I, I, you know, as long as we're talking about it in the parks, I just, I, I hope they never get rid of it because there has a, been that's some a good discussions. Would you rather? Yeah. I mean, you came a week too late, but yeah, my would you rather's. I mean, listen to the episode, but they were not. They were. Thomas <laughs> had some good ones. Definitely listen to it. Um, One which included Pinocchio, by the way. Yeah. So what what, what I would say is uh, another thing about this movie that I wanted to ask you. What do you think about the fact that Pinocchio just ditches all of his friends? <laughs> like, uh, they all, I mean, they don't escape. He doesn't, like, uh, in Disney films a lot now, I feel like when you see the protagonist escape, he also, like, kind of does in the villain at, as he's leaving. So, Pleasure Island? Yeah. Those kids are all just, they're done. They're going, they're, they're donkeys now. What do I think it about it? Yeah, I mean, just every time I, I watch it, it kind of strikes me that he's just he just runs away. Well, he's, I mean, he's only been a boy for, a, what, a, a day or two? yeah so i don't not even a boy a, a live puppet yeah. which is interesting unprecedented yeah but uh, i don't i don't necessarily blame the character for that it, it's not something i really thought about too much what i did think about about pleasure island was they have that one 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 part of pleasure island is like this this house this big mansion that the kids can go and destroy like there's a part where you can go and fight each other yeah just these different aggressive elements that actually represent how young boys behave in general uh but this house that they can destroy things in how do how do like they destroy a window stained glass window surely after like a week everything in that house is destroyed i they, think i think a week is being extremely I generous know, I'm, but, I'm giving it like but do they rebuild what goes on how does this work i don't know and what are those black beings that close the door they're demons of some kind yes yeah. and it's 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 weird it reminds reminds me of like a uh, a dr seuss cartoon well, I don't think, it, I think it's supposed to be sort of a, the whole thing is, you know, up until, right up until the whole, you know, being turned into donkeys thing. It's all metaphor. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's deeply seated. You kind of know what's going on, even though it doesn't make any sense. Back to the, uh, the jackass thing. When I was trying to find those virtues, it was like, if you're not going to be truthful, unselfish and brave, you might be a jackass to people. Yeah. Uh, certainly the unselfishness part. And dishonest yeah so I, I like the the connection there and it is subtle if you don't maybe you don't know the alternative name 
Yeah. But when you learn it, you're like, oh, I, okay, I get it. Well, it's a thought exercise is why I asked the question, but I agree. I think it's yeah. good. No, I like it. I actually like it quite a bit. I think it's it's quite clever. Uh, but I – should they open an area of the park? Should they demolish Galaxy's Edge and open a uh, Pleasure Island? <laughs> Hot take, Thomas. The same Pleasure Island. Uh, this, the very same, yes. There's no other variation. Okay, uh, no. <laughs> There's a pool but hall. They, they should close down Disneyland Avenue and build behind, behind – yeah, Galaxy's Edge, and I mean it's not really Galaxy's a Edge. Third then. gate? No, no, no. Just we're we're just getting rid of a whole street in in Anaheim. Okay. So no more getting to the hotels and everything that's on that street. No, that that would be a disaster <laughs> in, in in the best way. Yeah. No, I just we could just turn Toontown into Pleasure Island. That's a good point. That is it would fall point. apart pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> like parts of it already are. They could just yeah they could just put Pleasure Island over it and just yeah. let people run wild. The same way they put it like a, a banner for Pizza Planet. Yeah, exactly. Over the, for that short time, when yeah. it was the banner. Yeah. Anything else on this movie, Thomas? It's a delightful um, film, and everyone was, should watch it. I mean, we, we we're appreciating it right now, but at the time, it wasn't as successful as Snow White. The box by office, any yeah. The box office was not. It was not that well received in the box office, and, and that was apparently the the explanation for that was the fact that this was right in the middle of World War II, so the European markets were, of course, not. As receptive they or whatever. They weren't, I'm not even sure they were really showing it, but I think someone in the in the making of documentary was saying that that's a common thing to think. But there was Kaufman. Some, there was something else. Yeah, J.B. Kaufman. Uh, many of his books actually fuel our uh, episodes. Anyways, he uh, was saying that it might not have been that, like that might not have, not have been the biggest factor, although it certainly was. I don't know what the other factor would have been. Maybe what maybe the story was just a little bit less appealing. Well, and maybe it is darker, and you know. Um. Well, and you know, I'm wondering if it just what would you say the novelty of like a, a feature length animation had had just you know worn off a little bit for a short time. Like everyone wanted to see what was up with Snow White because it was such a it had never been done before, and perhaps maybe the fact that it's like okay, I've been there, done that, I've seen it. How great could it be? Um. But it turns out it it may be on on its own merits a better film. Part of it, I think, was that the studio devoted so many resources to this film that it wasn't worth it when the numbers came back in from the box office. Yeah, like I think they put more into this film than even Snow White, and certainly every film after that because they realized, okay, we're putting. I mean, they really did make like a masterpiece with this film, but they used so much of their money and resources that it didn't have much return for them financially not in the short term for sure and so it wasn't quite worth it to have that approach with every every feature film that coupled with the uh world war ii going on sort of interrupting the flow of popular culture you know i think that all was what was going against pinocchio but i mean we're lucky enough that it stuck and was popular the studio anyway and so things like this we can watch now re-released it recently uh and and it's yeah it's a great movie really really is and, and anyone who hasn't seen it in a long time i would encourage to go check it out on disney plus or by the by the blu-ray whatever it takes and and make it happen because this is uh, this is an epic film and i think uh truly one of the best disney films ever and that's and that's not there's no qualifiers there like not the best movie in the 
you know, it holds classics. up across time. Yeah, I think it's uh, you put it up against any of the films in the '90s, even, and it's it's right there for me. Something to cl- clarify is that the original story was uh, written by Carlo Collodi, had a other Italian last name, but I guess he chose Collodi for the the writing. But anyway, it was an Italian setting for that story. In this one, they had took influence from a Bavarian town somewhere, uh, so that's why if you're wondering whether this is Italy or not, it, it's not. The art, or rather the architecture, is not inspired by Italy, but by a, a Bavarian town. It's supposed to be Italy, I guess, but, I mean, whatever. But, yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So if you notice that incongruency, that's, it's real. So just, yeah, wanted to say that. Okay, guys. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I, uh, I hope you all enjoyed it, because we definitely um, enjoy w- w- these specific episodes, because it really gets us into the films that and gives us an opportunity to look at them in a different way and get excited about them um, other than just watching them. I don't know about you, Thomas, but we talk about this pretty much every time, but we'll watch the film. We watch the making of if it's available. We read about the movie. And then after recording these episodes, I just want to go up and watch the movie again. What was your favorite one of these episodes so far where we talk about the movies? I think Beauty and the Beast. Me too. Yeah. That's where I got most encouraged to rewatch. Um, that, but that I think is the best Disney movie ever made, which we, I've talked about before, but in my opinion, um, we don't need to get into it here, but yeah, okay. it's, that's one of the best Disney movies ever made. So that might be part of it for me and what gets me so excited. Okay. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next week on the next episode of the Talking Llamas podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you then. Talk to you later.